Why does Gardner Minshew always come up on this show? I never mention him. And people will just call and be like, can we get back to the Gardner Minshew thing? What Gardner Minshew thing? There is no Gardner Minshew thing. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. feel like I got the short end of the stick this week because I didn't have a show on yesterday. The Brewers covered it up, which is fine. I don't mind having a day off. Like, you're going to find me complaining. But content-wise, I feel like I got the short end of the stick because Will Smith punched Chris Rock on Sunday night, and there's just a lot of jokes to be made there. But now if I make that show to start the show today, if I make that the joke, then it's overplayed. It's like, okay, let that go. Right? We're past that. I ain't never had a chance to get my shots in. I mean, what do you... What do you mean to do? I never had a chance, especially with the Juwan Howard jokes that could have been made. Like the drawing the parallels between Will Smith and Juwan Howard, and I never got a chance to do that. I didn't even watch the Oscars. I just saw it on Twitter. But I, I just feel like me not being on yesterday really limiting my content abilities this week because now that joke has come and gone. I can't really add to it. Everything that has been said has been said, and that's it. So we're not going to do any Oscars today. I'm sorry. I feel like almost 48 hours later, probably <laughs> probably time to start to move along. I had jokes, though. They were good. They were 10 out of 10. I just never got a chance to tell them. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you had an awesome weekend because we did not have a chance to chat yesterday. I hope you had a good weekend. And your week is off to a good start. I apologize for not being here yesterday. Although Corbin Burns had a great outing and the Brewer game was entertaining, I love spring training baseball. So if there's a reason that I'm not on the air half-decent reason, get to enjoy some Brewers spring training baseball and a Corbin Burns start. Devin Williams got the pitch and Brent Suter got the save. It was a fun game, Um, even though I missed being on air. I will not be on air tomorrow, won't be on air Friday. So we're going to have to pack everything in this week on a Tuesday, Thursday type of schedule. Think back to college when you had Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes, Tuesday, Thursday classes. Well, those Tuesday, Thursday classes are short a day. So they really, really packed it in there. I remember professors, the days that, uh, we would have class on those two-day-a-week classes. They'd really, really stick it to us. So we're going to have a lot of content today. No Will Smith jokes, but a lot of content. I want to talk Bucks in the second half of the show. The Bucks play the Sixers tonight. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure how I want to approach this game. Do I want to approach it as a must-win, temperature-taking type game before the playoffs? Or do I just want to blow it off as this doesn't really matter? Teams are just trying to get healthy. You know, there's only six, seven, eight games left before the postseason for most teams. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll decide before 6 o'clock. But I do want to talk about the Bucs. I want to talk about their standing in the rest of the East. A little teaser. I feel awesome. I'll tell you why I feel awesome coming up in the second half of the show. I want to talk about the Packers. Brian Gutekind spoke at the league meetings yesterday. We'll hear just a little bit from him. And I want to talk about the Devontae Adams trade a little bit more. And I find it really interesting. The Chiefs trading their number one weapon. The Packers trading their number one weapon. And yet it makes sense. Normally it doesn't make sense when a team gets rid of their best player or one of their best players. But for the Packers and the Chiefs, it makes sense. And I want to talk about why. That'll be in about a half hour. 608-796-2558. You can call. You can text using that number if you'd like to join the show. If you want to find me on Twitter, and please do, please follow me. I appreciate the interaction. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, and tweet me anytime, not just during the show. All right, it's been almost a week since we've chatted, which feels a little weird. A lot has happened. Uh, it's like not going to church for a, for a few months. 
You go on Christmas, then you take a couple months off, you come back, you're like, man, where'd they, where'd they put all the, the Christmas decorations? Like, ah, it's been a couple months since I've been to church. Last time we were here, we sang, uh, sang Joy to the World. Now we're leading off with uh, Table of Plenty. It's an ordinary time joke, uh, Catholic joke. Let's start with college basketball. We have all week to talk Bucks. We have all offseason to talk Packers. Let's start with college basketball. I want to start with the Elite Eight. That was this weekend, and it kind of sucked. It was not a good round. So the first half of the weekend was the Sweet 16. The second half was the Elite Eight. So Thursday, Friday was one thing. I don't want to talk about Thursday, Friday. I want to talk about Saturday, Sunday. That was the Elite Eight, and the games kind of stunk. All the top seeds advanced. I don't like saying chalk because I think that expression is overused, but it was, as you would expect, all of the best teams, the bigger, better programs advancing. Villanova advancing over Houston by 16. Duke beating Arkansas by 9. Kansas beating Miami by 26. Yikes, that could have been the Badgers. Darn! You mean the Badgers could have lost by 30 to Kansas? Oh, what a wasted opportunity this year was. Oh, dang, shoot, crap. Oh, fire Greg Gard. Oh, what a waste. North Carolina beat St. Peter's by 20. Those Blue Bloods. This is your top-tier programs. And the Elite Eight was very predictable, and it kind of stunk. None of these games were competitive. The St. Peter's game was over in three minutes, if that. There's normally one round every year that stinks, one round of the tournament. And as we advance, there are fewer games, so there's just less insulation. Like, there are plenty of snooze games in the first round, but there are so many games that we can just ignore the bad ones and just focus on the good. Oh, the first round was great. Well, yeah, it's always great because there's a million games. You get to the Elite Eight and there's only four games. Well, if three or four of them stink, then that's all of the games. We don't have the insulation of being able, well, Vermont's playing Providence. Let's switch over. We'll watch that one if Kansas is beating the tar out of, you know, Rutgers or whatever in the first round or the second round before you even get to the Sweet 16. Something I've noticed the last two weeks, and I've never thought of this in the past, March Madness is a lot like the NFL regular season. It's a lot like the NFL regular season, at least in the way that we talk about it. Structurally, it's different because obviously the loser of every game in March Madness is eliminated. They're done for the year. If you lose in week six of the NFL regular season, you're not done. You just come back the next week and play. But the way we talk about March Madness, the way we follow March Madness, the way we cover March Madness Very similar to the NFL regular season. Because during football season, our attention span and our conversations, they dart around like a pinball in a machine. We're bouncing from place to place. We never stay on one team or one story too long. Remember in week nine when the Jags beat Josh Allen's Bills nine to six? Remember that? I don't really either. No, we, we got past that pretty quickly. I think in the moment, we're like, man, what's wrong with Josh Allen? What's wrong with the Bills? And if they win a coin toss, we could be talking about the Bills probably winning the Super Bowl this year because they probably beat the Bengals at home in the championship round. I mean, the Bengals were down 18 in Arrowhead and by Patrick Mahomes basically just dumping his pants, the Bengals were able to come back. I think if the Bills win the coin toss, they win in overtime in Arrowhead and they probably advance to the AFC championship game, the Super Bowl, and we might be talking about a very different result. But in week nine, yeah, that Josh Allen team very easily could have been in the Super Bowl. They lost to Urban Meyer, nine to six. That happened. We tend to forget about that. Remember when the Panthers were good for like a week and a half at the very beginning of the season? Oh, this defense is nuts. Uh, Well, actually, it turns out they just played the Texans and the Jaguars. That'll make any defense look good. Remember when they traded for Stephon Gilmore? Oh, the Panthers are all in. Okay. (laughs) They're all in on going 500. Maybe. Sure. Yeah. Sam Darnold. The Panthers are all in. 
what an elite defense. Okay, whatever. But that was a fun era. Remember when we thought the Panthers were well, some people thought the Panthers were good. Smart fans didn't, but a lot of people did. Remember when the Rams in the middle of the season in the span of a month were blown out by Tennessee and San Francisco and Green Bay? Three straight games with a bye mixed in. Blown up by the Titans, the Niners, and the Packers. Remember that? I very much do because the Packers were much better than the Rams. They are much better than the Niners with Jimmy G too, but that, of course, didn't play out in the postseason because, of course, it's incredible during football season how quickly we move on to the next week. I remember before the Vikings played the Packers the first time around. So not the game at Lambeau, but the game at U.S. Bank where the Vikings won. I remember going into that week, looking at the odds for first coach to be fired, and Mike Zimmer was way at the top. His seat was flaming. His seat was so hot. And then they could have went over the Packers. And oh, Vikings look amazing. They look like world beaters. They look like rock stars. Mike Zimmer finally got this thing figured out. You know, and then they turn around and they lose a bunch of games and they get blown out at Lambeau on Sunday night. Oof. That's when Kirk Cousins, of course, had COVID. Right? But just look at the arc of Mike Zimmer this last season. You go from, well, if they just had a little more luck, they'd be, you know, a Super Bowl team. To the next week, it's like, okay, fire Mike Zimmer. Fire everyone. Week by week, things change, things ebb and flow. And in the NFL, nothing is ever sitting still, ever. And as fans and as talking heads, as journalists, you know, we bounce around week to week to week. March Madness is the exact same way. Remember St. Peter's when they were on their run? And we were learning about where their gym is and how big their budget is. We're talking about the Peacocks. Honestly, that whole St. Peter's thing feels like it was a month ago. It was four days ago they beat Purdue. (laughs) Right? It feels so long ago. We've talked about so many other things. Now it's Coach K, a rematch with UNC, and Blue Bloods. Wow, Blue Bloods in the you know uh, Final Four. How could we not see it coming, right? The St. Peter's thing feels like it was months ago. It was four days ago. Remember at the end of the regular season when Duke lost to UNC in Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor? Oh, look at that. Duke's in the Final Four. What do you know? <laughs> right? You know how quickly we got past that and moved on past that? Remember when Juwan Howard punched someone in the handshake line? Well, you'd be the only one because everyone else has seemingly forgotten it because he's a hero again. Leader of men. Leader of men. Stand-up guy, Juwan Howard. After all this pomp and circumstance, all these different storylines, after getting bent out of shape about this little team that no one's ever heard of and this loss that no one really cares about at the end of the regular season, look where we are. We're in a Final Four that has Nova, Duke, Kansas, and North Carolina. I'm not saying that that's predictable, that we should have seen that coming, because the route that Nova and Duke and Kansas and North Carolina took to get here was anything but predictable, right? Even in a year where we have four superpower blue blood programs, the bracket was anything but predictable. I'm not saying that we should have seen this coming, but after all of the pomp and circumstance and the chaos of the last couple of rounds... Now the dust is settled and we look around. It's like, okay, Jay Wright's there. Yeah, Krzyzewski's there. That makes sense. Kansas, North Carolina, Blue Blood programs. Yeah, makes sense. But the route, the route we took to get here, just littered with peacocks and Juwan Howard punching people and Colgate and, and who, Iowa State and their defense. Yeah, okay, well, their defense was bad. Wisconsin's offense was just worse. Right? We get four Blue Blood programs, the four coaches, four great programs that have been successful forever. Imagine that. And look, guys, Kentucky, Duke, Nova, UNC. I know Kentucky didn't make it all the way, but they are considered among this group. There's a small group of teams, a small percentage of teams at the very top of the top. And this tournament's really important to them. 
Every year, I don't mean this specific year, this tournament is important. Every year, the tournament is everything to Kentucky and Duke and Nova and Kansas and North Carolina and UCLA, at least going back a long time, maybe not so much recently, although they had a great run last year, right? These blue, 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 the bluest of blue blood programs at the very top. Tournament's really important every year. It is, the, it is the thing. It's not just a thing. It is the thing. Everyone else, the other 95% of teams and programs in the country, guys, it, it really doesn't matter that much. It's really not that important. Right? This is what I was trying to say last week and the week before, before the tournament even started. I'm like, guys, the tournament's actually not that important. Right? Everyone wants to think the tournament is some proving ground for what happened in the regular season. It's not. It's a completely different thing. It's its own thing. It's single elimination. The Badgers made their bones in the regular season by being Mr. Consistent, never losing back-to-back games, never getting got on a bad night by a bad team. Even when they lost at home to Rutgers and Nebraska, look back at those losses. It's like, oh, those teams were hot. Those were actually halfway decent Big Ten programs that just got the Badgers at a good time. The Badgers were consistent as could be for four and a half months. And everyone's like, well, we'll see if they actually have what it takes in the tournament. No, the tournament's it's different. It's not the same. The tournament isn't meant to validate or invalidate anything that happened over the previous months, except for Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas. The schools that we always hear about, the programs that we always talk about, right? Now, this year was a huge failure for Kentucky, although Coach K would never say that because he's going to have three or four guys that go in the NBA draft, and that's really what it's about for him. Although easy to say because he doesn't have the titles that Coach K has. Well, it's not about titles for me. Well, I should hope not because you don't really have any, <laughs> right? Right? Coach K can say it's, well, it's about titles, about getting guys into the NBA. Coach Cal would say that it's about his NBA guys because that's certainly a much bigger part of his resume. The tournament doesn't matter for 95% of the teams in the country, right? How do we view bowl games in football? Or how do, I think, smart, common sense college football fans view bowl games? We say, all right, congrats. You got into the Orange Bowl. These kids are going to get a great experience. They're going to get to go on this trip. The program's going to get all this pub. We get an extra game to watch. It's going to be fun. Make some taco dip. Throw a party. Enjoy. Lay around on New Year's Day and watch it. Is any program validated or invalidated based on how many wins they have in the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl? I understand looking at a coach's bowl record is, is significant and Paul Chris has a very good bowl record. He's been really good since joining the Badgers. He won like his first four or five in a row. But a season is not made or broken by an orange bowl win or a pinstripe bowl win. I actually think there's more parallels between March Madness and college bowl season than we'd like to think, right? Get in, enjoy the experience, enjoy the game. Maybe you can get a win. And if not, you know what? It's not the biggest deal in the world because you're playing against some school that we've never watched, never heard of anyways. Yeah, when a team loses in March Madness, oh my God, it becomes a referendum on the coach. It becomes a referendum on the conference. Everyone's hating on Purdue in the Big Ten. Oh, way to let the let the Big Ten down, make the Big Ten look bad. Oh my God, who cares? 64 teams make the tournament. The Big Ten got nine teams in. That means the Big Ten comprised about 14% of the tournament. Now there's four teams left. That's about 6.5% of the tournament remains. So 94, 95% of the tournament has been eliminated. Oh, but the Big Ten is such a failure. Oh, what about the the 95%, right? What about the other 83, 84% if you take out the Big Ten? They all lost too. No, but the Big Ten is, the Big Ten, they should be embarrassed. Really? If me and 10 or 15 of my friends all go to a Brewer game and we all buy a 50-50 ticket for the raffle, 
and none of us win. Does that mean does that mean we're all failures? Does that mean we we failed? No. Everyone in the stadium bought one. Oh, the Big Ten looks bad. Why do we get so bent out of shape about this? Purdue not advancing and the Big Ten not advancing is fluky. And Matt Painter. <laughs> I I know very little about college basketball relative to a lot of people who do my job. And I know one thing. Don't stake money on Matt Painter. Never bet on Matt Painter to win the tournament and never bet on a team that's built around a 7-3 guy with bricks for hands. It's a good rule of thumb. Purdue lost to St. Peter's. How? It's the tournament. Weird stuff happens. I don't know what to tell you. Calm down. It's not that big of a deal. Let's take a break. I want to get into the Packers coming up next. Brad Gutekind spoke at the league meetings yesterday. I want to talk more about that trade and other things that are happening with our Green Bay Packers. 608-796-2558. Hit me up there. Hit me up on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Going to talk Bucks in the second half of the show. We're not going to go deep NBA lounge deep into the Bucks and into the NBA. But I feel amazing about this team. They got the Sixers tonight, the Nets later this week. I'm not sure if we're supposed to take these games as a pre-playoff test or they don't really matter. Teams are just trying to be healthy and going to the playoffs on a good note. I, I don't know. But I feel amazing about the Bucks. I tweeted about this over the weekend. I said, look, I, I know college basketball is going on, and that's cool. Uh, but I just can't help but be excited about the Bucks. I love their chances right now. Their chances at making it back to the NBA Finals and, and trying to defend their title. I love it. So we're going to do that in the second half of the show. Open to the show a little bit by talking about college basketball. I just don't think the tournament really matters that much. At least not as much as people make it out to matter. I think for 5% of programs in the country, we're talking about the top of the top, right? Nova, uh, Kentucky, Duke, Kansas. For those programs, yeah, the tournament matters a ton. But for everyone else, get in, make some noise, go on a little run, have a good time. We should just sit back and watch it as an entertainment product, which is really all it is because it's a giant mess. How are you supposed to judge teams? Who's good and who's bad by this tournament? St. Peter beat Purdue. Well, that means St. Peter was really the better team all along. No, it doesn't. Shut up. You know that's not true. Don't put too much stock into the tournament. It's a very easy trap to fall into. See it all the time. 608-796-2558. If you'd like to join me, text or call to talk about the Packers, you can follow me on Twitter and tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. This NFL offseason has been nuts. Forget the trades. Right? We've seen quarterbacks and, and great players go everywhere to Vontae Adams, Tyreek Hill. Just appreciate the timeline of this offseason so far. At no point since the Super Bowl have we been able to stop paying attention. Right? So we had the Super Bowl, then we look ahead to the Combine, the new league year with free agency and with trades, then we have league meetings right now. The draft is a month from Thursday, and we really even haven't started to dig deep into the draft yet. Like That might start next week or the week after where I actually start looking at prospects and players and by that point, we're almost to the draft, right? This offseason has been like a four-course meal. As soon as I finish one plate of food, another one just is plopped in front of me. I don't have a chance to get up and go anywhere. And when there's nothing going on, when there's no trades, and when there's no interactions, really then we just had Aaron Rodgers drama too. That's like the bread. That's like the bowl of rolls in the middle of the table. It's like, oh, you're waiting for the new league year to start? We're through the combine, but now we're waiting for free agency. Here's an Aaron Rodgers rumor to tide you over. Here's a nice warm roll with butter. 
eat that. Well, you wait. Yesterday it was announced that the 2024 NFL draft is going to be in Detroit, not in Green Bay. And as soon as I saw that announcement, I texted a buddy. My first thought was, oh, the Green Bay people are going to be pissed. They are going to take this personally. Of course they're not doing the draft in Green Bay. And if you're from Green Bay or if somehow you're listening there on any streaming service or app, first of all, thank you for listening. Wow. Glad, glad you found the show. You're in a great spot to talk Packers and to talk Bucks, and we're going to do some Devontae Adams stuff in a few minutes. So thank you for listening, Green Bay. But look, Green Bay is basically Wausau with a football team. And I mean that as politely as someone can mean that. <laughs> I get that that's a little bit of an insult. Although, hey, hey, what's wrong with Wausau? You got something against Wausau? It's New Richmond with a football team. Where are you going to hold the draft? Are you going to hold it in a bingo hall? Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to Applebee's? It's just, it's not, it's not there. And in my opinion, this is great for the Packers because now Mark Murphy can look around at the city of Green Bay and say, we're not, we're not there yet. We're not good enough yet. Got to keep building. Got to keep expanding. More hotels. Well, more of this and that and the other thing. So this gives the Packers an excuse to keep building, keep spending money, keep expanding, tear down some houses, build some more buildings. Get in there, Mark. Get in there, Packers. They're probably happy that they weren't awarded the draft, honestly, because it gives them an excuse to ask for more money from the community, expand into the community for the infrastructure, really. When Green Bay's never going to have the infrastructure, it doesn't matter how much money they spend, they're never going to have the infrastructure of some of these other cities, even Detroit. No one wants to go to Detroit, but they're going to Detroit over Green Bay. That's significant. Brian Goodykin spoke yesterday at league meetings, which is in Palm Springs, I believe. Uh, that's in California, right? It's not in Florida. It sounds like a Florida city. Come on. I'm sorry if that's in California and I'm misjudging it. I think it is. He took questions, especially about Devontae Adams. First question, when did you know that you were going to have to deal Devontae? Not really during the season. It was more after the season as we got through some things and had, had discussions afterwards. But again, I think um, Devontae deserved a lot of respect as we went through this process and we felt we gave that to him. And then we're very straightforward, open and honest with the communication part of it. And just as we got through it into free agency and we were um, moving on with that cap number, I think the best thing for the organization is to, is to move on. Palm Springs, Florida, or Palm Beach, Florida, rather. Not Palm Springs, Palm Beach. Big difference. I had to look that up. So they knew it was right after the end of the season, right after the Packers lost to the Niners, basically, and their season came up short. Tom Silverstein reported this last week, the timing. Uh, and I think I read you some excerpts from that piece. It's in the Journal Sentinel, PackersNews.com, if you want to go read it. The Rodgers connection, or the lack of a Rodgers connection, is the most interesting part of this to me. This is what Tom wrote, and I'm going to read it for you verbatim. After the season, many people made the mistake of thinking Rodgers and Adams were a package deal. And if one came back, the other would too. If one left, they would both leave. They have a special chemistry on the field and were the best quarterback-receiver combination in the NFL the past two seasons. But the truth is, they were not linked. Rodgers and Adams are tight on the field, but Adams is not a part of Rodgers' inner circle. Receiver Randall Cobb and David Bakhtiari are, but Adams doesn't run with that crowd. This is the part that's interesting for me from Tom. He's very much a family man and doesn't golf with celebrities or hang out in clubs or push his brand. The non-football-related photos on his Instagram account are mostly of his wife and daughter and some shots of his latest footwear. There are more photos of him in car than there are of him in Rogers. That that little part, I don't know. Seems like there's some there's some oomph behind that, Tom. He doesn't hang out with celebrities or hang out in clubs. I was like, well, first of all, are there clubs in clubs in Green Bay? Many many nightclubs right over. Well, you got to drive to Ashwaubenon. and that's the thing. You got to go just right out of t- right out of town. This had nothing to do with Rodgers and where he was going. He just wanted out of Green Bay. Wanted a new deal, wanted to play with the Raiders. 
Brian Gudikin says trading Devontae Adams was what's best. Those are really tough decisions. And um, to lose a player of his caliber, you know, and, and what he's done for the organization is always, a, it, those are hard things to move on from. But at the same time, you know, I think uh, once we got, you know, through the discussions with Devontae after the season, this was what was best for the organization and Devontae moving forward. I think it worked out best for both parties. This could have got ugly, right? That could have been kind of a crummy divorce. The Packers got the picks they wanted. Devontae Adams wanted to go to the Raiders. That's where he got to go. And it really wasn't dramatic. It didn't get ugly. I'd say that's a win. And I know Brian Gutekus would rather have Adams than not. But for the money that was involved and all the dirty details, the business half of the NFL, I think it worked out just about as good as you could hope for both parties. 608-796-2558. David is here. David, how are you? Welcome to the show. Doing well. How are you, Grant? I'm swell. It's been a while. Nice to hear from you. Been a busy boy. Well, good. Good. Keep busy. You have more important things to do than call the show, I'm sure. Oh, no. A couple times I've tried to, but then I realized you guys, or I tried to tune you in and get the Brewers. Which, uh-huh, you know, it's yeah. okay, but rather hear Bills than the Brewers. What can I say? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm going to tell my boss that you said that, by the way. I'm going to pass that along. Okay, so can we talk overtime rules in the NFL? Yeah, they they were changed today. Now it's it's been set up, if anyone didn't hear, that both teams are going to have a chance to have the ball. Yeah, these are terrible, all terrible rules. Really? So, Tell me why. Wouldn't you agree Wouldn't you agree that the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter of an NFL game is often the most exciting part of the game, especially if the score is close? Yeah, yes, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? Just have a 10-minute overtime. If a team can hold the ball for 10 minutes on offense and then kick a field goal, more power to them. Yeah, I don't disagree. You go 10 I, minutes. I, I just think the league is, they don't want people to get hurt. They want to keep it as short as possible. I I don't know. I agree with you. I'm, I'm right there with you. I agree. I just, the league wants to end it quickly, I think. It's exciting. It's what the fans want. And... Starting, you know, having a 10-minute overtime, if you wanted to. I mean, to me, except obviously when you need a winner in the playoffs, it would have to be different. So you get the coin flip. The red team gets the ball first, and you go for 10 minutes. And then if it's still tied after 10 minutes, the next overtime period, is a five-minute overtime period, mm. and the team that gets the ball is the one that didn't get it the first time. All right, I like this. I mean, if, if we're talking about shortening the game, I mean, you have college overtimes that go forever, like back and forth and back and forth. So I don't, I don't know that the timing part is an issue. I just think the NFL, you know, about player safety, we want to keep things short. We don't want to play extra time if it's not necessary. But I'm with you. I just think playing another quarter keeps it simple. Um, and like you said, if a team can possess the ball for 10 minutes, more power to them, then they earn that win. I agree. So I think that, you know, you have to push this proposal and you can tweak it. All right, all right. But, uh, you know, something like that makes so much more sense than what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's one team possessing the ball or two two teams possessing the ball, sudden death, whatever it is. There's so many ways for it to go wrong. I don't know how many things go wrong. If you just do a 10-minute period. It's simple. I can use my meager platform to push this for you, David. Let's get a movement started. I, I appreciate the call. Thanks, man. Okay, man. Leave it to you. Bye. Yeah, have a good one. That's David. 
796-2558. New overtime rules today. Both teams are going to get a chance to possess the ball. I, I feel like with NFL rule changes, we're always chasing, right? We have a rule, and then this happens. We don't like this, so let's make another rule. And then something else happens. Well, let's make another rule to fix that. It's like the little old lady that swallowed the fly. I just, I don't know if we're ever going to nail it down. But part of that is part of the fun in the NFL. We always need something to complain about and something to want to change, right? We're never going to, we're never going to be perfect. Just like our government and our country is never going to be perfect. We're never ever going to look around and think, all right, this is good. Let's stop, right? That's just not really how life works. And I think this is just the next step in what is a continuous thing. With the NFL and with the rule changes. Let's take a break. Come back. I want to talk about the Devontae Adams trade and compare it to the Tyree Kill trade. I think there are a lot of parallels, uh, and it's something that I've been thinking a lot about over the weekend. It's a trade that interests me a lot. I find it fascinating. Let's talk about it next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Bills. Hope you had an excellent weekend and a good start to your week yesterday. We didn't get a chance to chat yesterday. Brewers covered up my show. That's fine. Not going to complain about a day off. I went on a hike uh, at about 4 p.m. Oh, it started as a run and then I'm like, I don't want to run today. Feeling lazy. So I turned it into a hike. I ended up uh, stumbling across this beautiful, majestic pair of turkey vultures. It was sitting in the sun. I got really close to them, actually. I am a, uh, consider myself an amateur bird watcher, a novice. Um, they're huge turkey vultures, very big. Uh, so I just sat and watched them for a while yesterday. That's what I did from four to six p.m. <laughs> so productive? I don't know. I had a good time. Brews will be on tomorrow at the same time, so we're not gonna have a show tomorrow night either. Uh, Thursday will be on. No Brewers. Kurt Hogg, Journal Sentinel. He is covering the Brewers spring training right now. He's gonna join us on Thursday. We're gonna have to pack everything in Tuesday, Thursday this week. I get a couple days off. I'm not complaining. Again, you can join the show if you'd like. 608-796-2558. You can find me on Twitter and tweet me at Wisco Grant. We're talking about the Packers. Brian Gutekind speaking at league meetings about how it was a good thing for the Packers to get this done. Best thing for the organization, which really was his way of saying, I didn't want to trade him, but we really didn't have a choice. So this was the next best thing, which I, I agree with, by the way. I'm not. I'm not overly being critical of Brian Gutekinds here. They didn't want to pay Adams $30 million, And I, I honestly think they were probably right in not doing so. And it worked out pretty well for them the same way it's worked out well for the Chiefs. And these two trades are so interesting to think of together. The Packers, one of the best teams in the NFC, the number one seed the last two years, trading away their best player, not named Aaron Rodgers. And then the Chiefs, who have hosted, what, four straight AFC championship games? Now trading away their probable best player, not named Patrick Mahomes. I mean, who would be better on the Chiefs? Maybe Kelsey, but Kelsey's getting a little old still. Arguably the two best wide receivers in football. I mean, who who else would you argue? We have Adams and we have Hill. Who else would you put in there, right? Again, uh, arguably. I'm not saying that they are slam dunk number one or number one, number two, but they're right there. So Green Bay, Kansas City, two contenders, top of their conference, best wide receivers in football, two very smart organizations just traded away their best player, excluding quarterback. Why? Why? And why are they getting crushed for it? Think of an NBA team did this, right? Let's think of if a team traded away 
I'm trying to think of what would be a good parallel. Someone who has developed fully, but isn't physically declining yet. I think like if someone traded away, I don't know. Jason Tatum's probably still a little young. Luca's probably still a little young. Think of an NBA franchise just out of nowhere traded away their best player who was in their prime. We'll be like, what the hell? Why? Or if in baseball, right? If in the middle of last year, the Braves would have traded away Freddie Freeman, seemingly for no reason. We'd be like, what? Why? Now they let him go in free agency, but they traded for medals. And so it's not like they were totally punting on being competitive. They just, for whatever reason, didn't want to keep Freddie Freeman. If a team trades away their best player, we're normally asking why. Why would you do that? Why does that make sense? We kind of get it with the Packers and with the Chiefs. And here's why. Devontae Adams is worth more to Vegas than he is to Green Bay. Likewise, Tyreek Hill is worth more to Miami than he is to Kansas City. These two stud wide receivers are worth a lot more to their new teams on their new deals than they would have been to the Packers or to the Chiefs at 28 to 30 million a year, quote unquote. That's not exactly what the contract is, but that's what the number says. The Packers sold an asset that isn't worth as much to them as it is to the new buyer. Same with the Chiefs. And isn't that a good position to be in as a seller? Think of it, right? You're empty nesters. You and your significant other, all the kids are out of the house, been out for a couple of years now, and now the house is too big. Right? You got a four-bedroom house, and the market is popping. Great seller's market. You're trying, to, you're trying to get rid of this house. You're going to make a pile of money. New family is in town. Oh, boy, they need a place to live. They got three kids. They need a four-bedroom house, and there's not a lot of places on the market, and you and yours selling your crib, a crib that you don't need. It's not worth as much to you as it will be to this new family. You're going to need a new price for it. You're going to sell it pretty easily. That's the position the Packers were in. That's the position that Tyreek Hill was in. Hill and Adams are more valuable to their new teams than their old teams. That's reflected in the Super Bowl odds. Miami went from plus 5,000 to about plus 3,500. Now it's about settled at plus 4,000. And that's because the AFC is really good. Kansas City went from plus 750 to plus 900. Little ding, but not that much. The Raiders similarly went from plus 5,000 to plus 3,800. A nice jump, especially in a competitive division like that. The Packers went from plus 850 to plus 1100, which is fourth in the NFL in Super Bowl odds. Ooh, no, don't take us out of Super Bowl contention, which is why I thought it was really dumb last week. A lot of people opened their show saying the Packers are no longer Super Bowl contenders. Honey, the Vikings are Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. That conference is bad. They'll be fine. So will the Chiefs. The utility of Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill was declining for the Packers and the Chiefs. It's because defensive coordinators have now been watching the Packers for years, watching the Chiefs for years, and trying to figure out, okay, how do we stop that? How do we stop, how do, how do we take that away? Defensive coordinators are really smart. And it might take a little time, but eventually everyone comes around to figure it out. The Chiefs and the Packers had become the hunted. They were being the ones that were hunted. And defensive coordinators really learned how to minimize the effect of Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, especially in games that were meaningful, especially in playoff games. Eric Eager talked about this idea last week. I went and pulled this audio. This is from the Wisco Sports Show last month. Eric Eager talking about being the hunted and how it's a tough place to be as an NFL offense. Uh, you know, the, the last time an MVP of the NFL um, won the Super Bowl in the same year was last century. It was in 1999. And I think, like, there's a little bit of, of a lesson there. In, when you win the Super Bowl, 
Super Bowl, you often win another team's Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say that, I mean the team that's favored going into the playoffs almost never wins the Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe there's a little bit of just, like, sneaking up on teams in such a schematic game, right, where if the Chiefs are the one seed, everybody's building the defense to beat the Chiefs. And so yeah. if you have run a Titans offense, maybe that corners the market a little bit better and you can have an edge, even though you're not a – sustainable long-term winner or if you're the Rams playing the Rams way or uh you know when when Lamar Jackson's offense was the taste of the town in 2019 everybody forgot about how big of a juggernaut the Chiefs were uh, and they go and sneak a Super Bowl that year so to me it, it's it's weird but it, it, almost always in football it's bad to be the hunted one it's bad to be the team that's hunted by defensive coordinators now Tyreek Hill is still very good for the Chiefs Devontae Adams is still really good for the Packers but at $30 million a year, you got to start to pay attention. Okay, how good are they? <laughs> are we getting $30 million a year worth of production? Or are we paying them $30 million because that's how good they are and have been? However, defensive coordinators have kind of handcuffed them just a little bit. The value of Tyree Kill for Kansas City, he was a deep threat, especially with Mahomes, got that huge arm, right? Well, only 16% of Tyree Kill's targets were more than 20 yards downfield last season. That's the lowest of his career. His average depth of target, lowest of his career. Yards per outrun, lowest of his career. Yards after the catch, lowest of his career. That doesn't mean he wasn't good. That means that defenses weren't letting him be him. Right? That would be like buying a Ferrari and then not being allowed to drive faster than 15 miles per hour. It's still a really nice car. But if you can't drive it fast, do I really want to spend all that money on it? Right? It's the same with the Packers and with Devontae Adams. His value is doing everything. That becomes really hard to do when you have four defensive backs following you around. And you can talk about opposing defensive coordinators figuring out how to cover Adams. You could probably also blame the Packers for not picking up another wide receiver to take some of the pressure off Adams. Whatever. In the end, the Chiefs and the Packers dealt their star wide receivers because they just weren't worth as much to them as they would be to other teams. The Packers have become the hunted. Think of Game of Thrones. I love this analogy. This is a great way to think about it. Game of Thrones. Start of season seven, and I believe the end of season six, Daenerys' dragons are unstoppable. No one has a prayer of controlling them. They are burning everyone and everything. They're taking down entire fleets of ships in Slaver's Bay. They're blowing up uh, supply lines of the Lannisters. Like, it was, it was a cheat code. You almost felt bad for how easy they had it. And then what happened? The whole realm starts working together. Like, all right, how do we take down these dragons? What do we do? And then they decided, okay, well, let's just build like a hundred really big crossbows. And that'll probably do the trick. And then to begin season eight, they're just flying above the sea. No, this is a problem. And then one of the dragons just gets blasted out of the sky. They're like, okay, it's not so easy when the whole realm is trying to take you down. It's not that the dragon wasn't awesome. Dragons are always awesome. Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams are awesome. But if you have to pay 30 million a year for that guy, it would be like, buying a Ferrari, and then not being able to drive it fast. That money could be used better elsewhere. Doesn't mean they're not good. Doesn't mean the Packers won't miss Hill and Adams, but it probably didn't make good business sense to continue to sink money into a player that they weren't really allowed to unlock at the highest level. Now the Raiders and Dolphins can try to do that, use them differently, figure out a creative way to get them involved. I just don't think it made sense for the Packers and the Chiefs, both very smart organizations that moved off of two very good players. 
something you don't see a whole lot. We can keep talking about this coming up next. 608-796-2558. Twitter at Wisco Sport, or uh, excuse me, Wisco Grant. The Wisco Sports Show is back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. 608-796-2558. Get a text here. I think this guy's upset. He says, let the spin begin. For weeks, it was all about how the Packers needed Adams, and now that he's gone, it's a different story. Oh, their wide receivers were ass without him. Yeah. No, I'm not saying they're better without Adam. I'm saying it makes sense why they traded him, especially because there was just unhappiness between the two. Same with the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill, right? When you pay a quarterback a bunch of money, tightens the belt everywhere else, and the Packers and the Chiefs looked at their star wide receiver. It's like, well... We're not even really allowed to let this guy out of the cage because defensive coordinators have figured out a way to keep him contained. Now, with the Chiefs, that was schematic, right? Defensive coordinators just weren't letting Tyree Kill get over the top. With the Packers, you could maybe blame the fact that they never got a number two wide receiver that was really all that great. And I like Alan Lazard, and maybe it's also a little bit on Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers didn't really want to throw the ball to Alan Lazard in the playoff game a couple weeks ago. So maybe it's Rodgers, Packers, maybe it's a combination of everything. It would be like buying a Ferrari and then not being able to drive it over 50 miles an hour. Like, that's great. If you have unlimited money and you want a Ferrari, great. But if you can't drive it fast, well, maybe we should spend that money elsewhere. You spend it on something else. Packers are going to have to draft wide receivers. I want to talk about that at some point today before the show is over. First, to the phones we go. 608-796-2558. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who's this? George Horahan from the Crescent. George from the Crescent. How are you doing, George? Super. It's a cool day, but uh, how about a blo- uh, little plug for a fundraiser? Oh, if you, you want a fundraiser, that? you want a plug, sure, go ahead. La Crescent Baseball Booster Club fundraiser, spaghetti supper, March 31st. It's this Thursday, 4.30 to 7 at the event center in La Crescent. Hmm. Carryouts okay. available, drive through also. Awesome. You got a uh, you got a sports take, George? You just plug in a spaghetti, which is fine, by the way. It's a great cause to support. Uh, especially with Rick Boyer, what happened this year. But you have anything you want to yeah, yell about okay. with the Packers before I let you go? <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly a Packer fan from uh-huh. Minnesota, but we got a few of your players. So yeah, <laughs> you like your chances out. this year? You feeling good? Oh, uh, sure, sure, you bet. All right. And by the way, this is a free will offering as far as the charge goes. Oh, and this is on Thursday. You said I'm going to look up a link too. I can tweet it out. Yep, Thursday. 437. 437. Yeah. All right. Thanks, George. Have a good one. George and La Crescent. I love La Crescent. I think we've talked about this a couple of times. We have a couple of callers from La Crescent. It's beautiful. He goes, oh, I'm a Vikings fan. I think he just wanted to rub it in. We got some of his players, he says. That's funny. Packers are going to have to draft some new wide receivers. Um, I've seen a couple of sports talkers this week, Wisconsin sports talkers, throwing around the idea maybe the Packers should trade up, right, package some of those first picks. They have four picks in I believe the top 59, I have it written down here. Let me look. Brian Gudikins talked about it. Four picks in the top 59, yep. I don't want them to trade up. Don't do it. Don't do it. I know it's tempting. We'll, we'll go up and get the number one wide receiver in the draft. You don't need to. No, don't do that. Don't do that, right? We even heard from Brian Gudikins a couple of times. He's speaking at league meetings, and we've heard impressors. No one guy is going to replace Devontae Adams. 
right? I agree. And if you need to, as it was said in Moneyball, if you're going to replace him in the aggregate, then don't put all of your draft picks to move up and get one guy, right? There's going to be a guy available at, where do the Packers pick? 23, 24. That's a good spot. A lot of good wide receivers have gone there the last couple of years. And you got one at 29. You got some second round picks. Take a couple wide receivers. I, I hate the idea of the Packers going all in to get one wide receiver. He's going to be our new number one. And then that's it. Don't do that. Don't trade up. I want more draft capital. I want more value. I want multiple swings. I don't just want one pick. And also, wasn't it the issue with Devontae Adams is they only had one guy? Well, then why would we try to solve this problem by giving up all of our picks to jump up and trade for one guy? Doesn't that seem like fixing a problem with a solution we already tried, except this solution isn't going to be as good. Let's say they jump up and they take Olave or Wilson or whoever they believed in number one, Drake London, whoever from SC. They jump up and they take one guy. They're like, this guy's going to be our new number one. Okay, well, he's not going to be as good as Devontae Adams. And having a true and, and bona fide and only number one wide receiver didn't work when you had Devontae Adams, who's the best wide receiver in football. I just, I just want to put it out there right now. Anti-trading up. Anti-trade up. Anti-trade up. You have four picks. Use them all. Use them all. Get a nice bounty of players from the first and second round. A lot of premium picks. Heck, even trade down. I'm, I'm anti-trade up. In this scenario, there'll be a good wide receiver available in the early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s. Just get them there. They do need to draft wide receivers, though. If they go through the first round and they don't get a wide out, I'm going to be I'm going to be pissed. I'm probably as mad as I've been about a draft pick since Jordan Love. Oh, God, I hope we don't have that all over again. What if they take a quarterback? Uh, I'm not going to worry about that until it actually happens. I'm not giving mental real estate to that idea. I refuse. Coming up in about a half hour, I want to get into the Bucks in the NBA. They have a huge game tonight. But in the meantime, if you want to look back at some of the college basketball from this last weekend or you want to keep the Packers conversation going, whatever, I'm down. Give me a text, 608-796-2558. Twitter, at Wisco Grant. More of the Wisco Sports Show back in two minutes. Bills, we're going to drop some listeners off in about 10 minutes because Bucks Sixers pregame going to take over. Bucks play at six tonight. So if you'd like to continue to listen, listen on the zone in Madison. You can stream at madcitysportszone.com. What I would recommend is downloading the Odyssey app and just favoriting all of the stations across our network. W-A-Y-Y, W-K-T-Y, W-O-Z-N. That way, if for whatever reason, something's covering up the show, how you listen, well, you can find it on a stream. Find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. You can text to call the show 608-796-2558. Cody texts in and says the East is crowded, but I feel like the only teams that truly have a chance in the postseason are teams that have a guy that can take over a game. There's only three of those guys in the East, Giannis, Durant, and Embiid. Cody, what a great place to start. I feel amazing about the Bucks' chances because they're getting healthy, and I think the Bucks are really good, and we can talk more about that in a few minutes. But as you say, the rest of the East, ah, man, I don't know. Miami had lost four in a row until last night. They lost, uh, or they beat the Kings last night, which, like, come on. Got thrown a freebie by the league. Up until that point, they lost four in a row. They lost to Golden State, who was playing no one. Philly, who was playing no one but Tyrese Maxey. Then they had a fight on the bench the other night, too, and that looked really bad. 
Chicago just isn't good. Statistically, they've been one of the worst contending teams post-All-Star break in offensive and defensive metrics. DeMar DeRozan just can't do it all himself. They've been injured. I don't think Alonzo's going to be back this year. Brooklyn, assuming that Kevin Durant and Kyrie are healthy, which is not the safest bet in the world to make, I still have a lot of questions about the rest of their roster. Are they going to go small? Are they going to go all offense? Patty Mills, Goran Dragic, Seth Curry? Okay, good luck defending Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis then. You won't have the size. And if Brooklyn wants to be better on defense, they could play James Johnson, Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown. But then there's no spacing. So Kevin Durant and Kyrie are going to have to work extra hard on offense. I just, I don't know how it works for Brooklyn, especially with Ben Simmons. He still hasn't resumed on court activities. He's not playing this year. Philly, we'll see. I just don't buy into James Harden. He hasn't looked good. Watch. He'll go for 45 tonight now that I say that against the Bucks, But we'll see. I'm not betting my house that the Bucks are going to win the East. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they're going to roll through the conference and make the finals, repeat his chances. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying I'm as confident as I have been all season long, maybe excluding opening night against the Nets, which when all said and done is going to be six months ago, early October. I love how the Bucks are shaping up right now. We're not talking enough about the return of Brooke Lopez and what that means for this team. We got so used to watching the Bucks without Brooke Lopez this year that we really started to forget how important he is all of the good things that he does. Here's Giannis last week. Eric Name asked him about the return of Brooke. Uh, with Brooke back, you guys can now play really big. I think you had a lineup, Serge, Bobby, and you out on the floor together tonight. What does it mean for you guys to be able to play big again? Oh, man, it's, uh, it's great. You know, Brooke is a cheat code. You know, he can rip on the ball. He can score the ball for us. He can make threes. His defense is unbelievable. He's just making it tough for everybody that comes in the paint. I'm so happy that he's back and, you know, just sometimes me, Brooke and Bobby being out there, or me, Brooke, Sergio, me, Serge, Bobby, uh, you know, it's amazing. We're big, you know, we, uh, we're capable. We can, we can shoot the ball from three. We're being physical. Nobody can get in the paint. We can rebound the ball and uh, just space the floor and just play basketball. I think uh, all of those three guys are uh, great basketball players, know how to read plays, make good decisions. So, you know, whenever we on the floor like that, we just start to play basketball. Brooke is so good. He's huge. He controls so much airspace. He's he is. If you say I want my team to have a rim protector, that's Brooke Lopez. That's that's Brooke Lopez. That's exactly what he is. It's so overused. It's so cliche to say my team needs a rim protector. They don't have a rim protector. Brooke Lopez is that guy. And. Now they're able to play three of these four guys at once. Serge Ibaka, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, and Giannis all at the same time. Or they could play small. Yeah, they played small all year. Giannis is playing center for weeks on end, which is, by the way, amazing that he stayed healthy and still putting up MVP numbers. That's another ridiculous thing we don't talk about. The NBA has been getting smaller and smaller for years. Really, it started with the end of LeBron's run in Miami when they were just playing Chris Bosh at the five. When somehow, somewhere, someone in the NBA realized that we don't actually have to play Joel Anthony if we don't want to. There's no reason. We don't have to. We don't need to play him. And ever since then, the Heat played small ball. Then the Warriors really perfected it, right? Their Hamptons 5 lineup or their death lineup or whatever. But even the Warriors, when they went small in the playoffs, they liked having Andrew Bogut because he would eat minutes in the first quarter and the third quarter, and he would eat a lot of regular season minutes. Because playing small beats you up. If you ask Draymond to play center every night, he's going to get beat up. They asked that of Giannis all season long. And luckily, it wasn't a complete and total catastrophe. He, he's going to come close to winning MVP, for God's sake. 
right? But now they get their version of Andrew Bogut back. That's Brooke Lopez. And now they can play big. They can play big in a league that's been told to get smaller and smaller and smaller for years. Who's the center that the Nets are going to roll out there? Andre Drummond? Okay. Okay, sure. Now, the Sixers have Joel Embiid, but the Bulls don't have anyone. The Cavs have a few, but Jared Allen is hurt, and Evan Mobley is a rookie. I guess the Celtics have Robert Williams, but now he's hurt. He needs knee surgery. So where's the other huge juggernaut, big-sized team in the East that's going to slow up the Bucs? There isn't one. This is why the Bucs fell down to the Hawks and fell behind last year to the Nets and to the Suns. Is because a lot of these teams were faster and smaller and they could run around and they could shoot. But if you play a team seven times in two weeks, it's really exhausting to play a team like Miami. And they're going to beat you up. They're going to tire you out. They're going to out-physically you. I mean, people talk about Kevin Durant. Well, if his toe was over the line, uh, and then the Bucks lose in the second round. They never make it to the finals last year. Yeah, well, guess what? If Jeff Green doesn't hit seven threes in game five... The Bucs probably come back and win four straight against the Nets to win in six. And then are we even having a conversation about Kevin Durant's toe? Are we really talking about Kyrie Irving's injury? I don't know. I don't know. The Bucs last year, they don't start series well, but they would get bigger and stronger and more physical while the other team would wear down. And now the addition of Serge Ibaka along with a healthy Brook Lopez and Bobby Portis and Giannis, they can just be bigger. They can just be stronger. They can help physical teams. And I don't really know how Chicago deals with that, how Brooklyn deals with that. Philly, we'll see. I'm excited for tonight's game. I know Miami can't deal with it. Miami sucks. Now, Boston intrigues me. I wanted to watch them last night. I was really excited to sit down and watch them and maybe even be impressed and give them credit, which I hate doing with the Celtics. But then they rested everyone. I want to talk about the Celtics and why they've been really good. Yes, they still really don't scare me. Against the Bucks, Everyone talks about their defense. Their defense is great. Yeah, that's, that actually makes me feel good about the Bucks' chances against the Celtics in a playoff series. Even before Robert Williams got hurt on Sunday. And we learned yesterday that he needs knee surgery. So we can talk about that. Why I love the Bucks' chances. I feel great about the Bucks. I want to talk more about that coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show.